All right, welcome to another episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. This will be an interview. On the line, I have Jeremy Pope. Now, we're going to get into his background and all of that in just a minute. But Jeremy, when I asked what else we needed to cover about sales, selling sales departments and all of that to make sure this episode is awesome, you said, when an offer hits, it's like an electric unicycle. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? And why is that so important to understand? Yeah. Um, I guess it's almost more of a copywriting thing than it is a sales thing. I've done a lot of offer coaching over the years as well as sales coaching. Yes. And it, when I got an electric unicycle, I realized that my extreme extroversion had kept me from noticing when people were trying to get my attention before, because I was always the first one to say hello. But when I got an electric unicycle and I was riding that around town, I had people in cars at every stoplight stopping me to just ask questions and be interested. And I found that when you get an offer just right, when your offer hits your audience just right, when you've done the unsexy, the ditch digging kind of work of, of knowing your avatar really, really deeply, then the offer hits like that. It gets the attention just right from the ad or the first contact top of funnel, whatever that is all the way through to the sale, it just minimizes resistance tremendously. And it's a really fun thing. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and it makes you look like a total hero, like whatever your role is in making sure that offer goes out the door. I love it. Cool. It, well, it makes you look like much more of a hero than an electric unicycle does. Um, <laughs> an electric unicycle is not a hero device. <laughs> Roy leans into the mic and he says, no comment. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right. So uh, Jer Jeremy Pope is a former clinical and stage hypnotist, um, mm -hmm. which is awesome, who now helps entrepreneurs build scalable high ticket sales departments. He's been a top salesperson, sales manager, and sales trainer for international businesses, including the direct marketing giant, Guthrie Rinker. Now he and his team at Sales Call Overhaul build high-ticket sales departments and help smaller business owners repair broken sales methods. So Jeremy, we're going to start by talking about sales skills and um, especially like what entrepreneurs need to focus on either for themselves or people selling for them in terms of sales skills. And then we'll dive into sales teams. So I'll split it up kind of that yeah. way. Uh, so first question, well, second question. One of the things I love about your approach uh, as I dug into what it is that you offer is that you don't force like extroversion and charisma on salespeople. Mm. And I was, I was looking at, you know, contrary to you saying, hey, I'm an extrovert, I initiate contact. You don't force that on people. You don't say right. that's what it's required. And you were talking about your PUF technique. And, and specifically, you said you can let yourself be awkward. You can let yourself be yourself. So can you explain this whole PUF thing and how it can help even introverts sell more? Yeah. Um, it plays into the, the no ambushes policy that we use at Sales Call Overhaul. Um, we refuse to ambush people with sticker shock or with weird objection handling or with high pressure techniques or anything like that. And yeah. so the price upfront technique, the PUF technique is basically it, it's one version of my elephant in the room method. It's just, and, and copywriters tend to resonate with this really well. A, they tend to be more introverted. So that let's get the pressure out of the way and B um, they get the avatar research. So if you know what your people are going to bring up, what your ideal clients are going to object to, why would we not deal with this at the beginning of the sales call? Why would we not start, not start educating around this in the marketing before they get to the sales call in the application in the, whatever your funnel is like, just start dealing with those things as soon as you possibly can appropriately in that funnel. And you make you'll make things a lot easier for yourself. So the price upfront technique, do you want me to actually do it with you? I'm happy to do it with you on air if you want. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's, okay, let's dive cool. in. I think it's, that makes it useful. All right. So, so let's role play. Um, okay. You're, you're going to buy a sales team. Let's say that's, that's what you're looking for. Okay. Um, so Roy, I am a sales trainer. I am a sales consultant, sales coach, all that stuff, but I am not the world's smoothest salesperson. Um, I get clumsy. I get awkward. 
Um, I get weird about money sometimes. Do you mind if I just tell you what the price is right now, and then we can spend the next 40 minutes figuring out if it's really a fit? Sure. Okay. I mean, that's, that's hard to argue with. Okay. Right. That's, Nobody yeah. ever says no to that. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's part one, and I'll explain why that's fun. And then part two is immediately afterwards, you go, okay, it's $22,000. All right. Now I can relax and you can have sticker shock now. Yeah. You you can run away screaming if you need to, but is that even in range? Should we even keep talking if we, if the value is there, if this is really a fit and then you Um, get one of, yeah, sure. Or no. Yeah. Right. And I've, I've done this not, not quite as intentionally. I mean, just Mm -hmm. here's me reflecting on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've done this not quite as intentionally. Uh, when I'm trying to figure out if someone is a good fit. And so, for example, yeah. I'll say like most of my copywriting work starts at a minimum of a $20,000 fee right. plus royalties based on sales generated. And so um, I don't know if it makes sense. Like I have people coming to me yeah. and they say, I need a direct response copywriter, but what they really need is like someone who for $500 will rewrite a web page. Yeah. Right? And that's exactly. not. And, and so getting that out of the way up front, instead of trying to sell them for an hour and then being like, yeah. oh yeah, it's $20,000. And they say, oh, uh, exactly. yeah, <laughs> exactly. It does so, so many things you've, you've got, yeah. when, when they say, yes, I'll stick with you. You've got a commitment right there. Not even a micro commitment, just a yes, I will stick for the next 40 minutes. They, they say, yeah. yes. Then when you tell them the price and you get a no, maybe, or a yes, or a no, what about financing or a yes, what, whatever version of that maybe there is, um, you know where they are like immediately, if they're no, then they're not qualified to be in your funnel. And you know that at minute four of the call, um, or they, they're not someone who keeps their word. They just told you they're going to stick with you. And now they're saying no immediately afterwards. So that's a possibility as well. And so, okay, maybe a red flag for, we don't, we don't want that person as a client. Um, when you get a, maybe you get information on where they are financially and how much work are we going to have to do around pricing or the structure of the price or the, um, who we send them to for financing or anything like that. Yeah. But I mean, you get two commitments right there. If you get a yes, you are 60% closed at minute four, not 90%. It's easy to think it's more than that because, because the relief factor is so great, but it's 60%. And it just, now you can pull together against that load in the wagon against a problem. You can pull that problem to the goal. You can match things up properly and you can problem solve collaboratively throughout the rest of that sales call without pressure. Like you build that tension internally with them, but it turns into working together. It turns into a romance rather than a poker game where you're trying to hide information the whole time. And I I imagine it also, uh, it, it also helps a bit with determining like helping them recognize if you're going to have a fit conversation. Like I, I do yeah. that in terms of especially selling services, you really want to figure out if you're a fit and right. that's what most of that call is um, in, in terms of consultative selling that it helps you determine like, is this a fit we could work together? Right. But I don't know how much the cost is. So it's hard for me to cost justify whether being a fit is um, going to pay off versus somebody who's like, Oh yeah, if it's $20,000, I could, like, if we're a fit, I could easily make $250,000, right. $500,000 off working together. Right. So it's a no brainer. And so the entire sales call, as they're determining fit, they have this critical piece of like, um, it, it's like, like in algebra, if you don't know what the value of X is, it's confusing. But if you know what the value of X is, yep. you can solve the problem right away. Right. Exactly. Um, cool. Um, and and I love that you kind of chunk that up to elephant in the room because sometimes mm. the same idea can apply in different ways. Like if Very you're selling much. on a w- webinar, one of the things that helps is to like make it clear up front, hey, this is a webinar. Uh, yes, we're going to actually make an offer at the end. And we're going to spend the next 45 minutes or an hour providing you as much value as possible so that by the time I talk about the auth- offer, it's going to be something that... Um, you'll be able to know if you're going to get the value that you expect out of investing in it. And so is it okay 
if I just focus on value for the next 45 minutes and then share something yeah. with you at the end. Like that's another type of elephant in the room and way for people to apply the principle and strategy elsewhere. Yeah. Cool. I, well, well spotted. And I've done almost exactly that on webinars before. Yes. I love Excellent. it. So um, you, it elsewhere in your materials, you talk about disarming with openness. Um, and, and I suppose mm. this is a way of doing that. But can you speak a little bit more to this, this concept of disarming with openness and, and how it can make us better at selling um, yeah. or other examples or applications? Sure. So Miracle Fuzz is one application of this. Um, okay. If you recall the old ionizer, uh, one of the first ionizers, it had a ball of steel wool at the top and it was ugly. And so I can't remember who it was. I don't think it was Claude Hopkins, but that's the only name coming to mind at the moment for, for this. Okay. Um, and he called out the miracle fuzz in this, uh, that, that made everything work. So he, in TV, they call it lampshading. Um, like you stick a lampshade on it and you say, yeah, we know it's there. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's that element, like the leg lamp from Christmas story, I think is, is what that's from. Yeah. And then, um, the um the schlitz beer uh it's filtered kind of thing well yeah yeah all of them were filtered but we got really open about it and we used that as a unique mechanism like there's some element of that in the sale itself and so it, it should flow all the way through from beginning to end of your marketing and sales process the, the entire funnel from start to finish and so not only does it help you to call out unique mechanisms that you may not have been aware of just, just by virtue of your transparency and, and vulnerability, even you can find those unique mechanisms and brandable language and things like that. But you can also, I mean, it gives people an instant difference in the feel of how you're going to be to work with. If you're, if you're playing against someone, then yeah. well, that's not a great foundation for a relationship. Um, yeah. But if you're, if you are collaborating with them, if you're letting them in, then openness is typically a good start for a relationship. So yeah. it, it just gives a totally different feel and not a whole lot of people do it. I, I talk a lot to my, my people are, I, I call them givers among many other things, but there are a lot of folks that come into our ecosystem that are givers who feel stuck in a taker process because they yes. have learned how to start their business from a biz op coach and the biz op world is, it, it gets pretty condescending sometimes. Um, yeah. There's a lot of irresponsibility in the biz op world and you, it's hard for the gurus in that world to qualify and disqualify effectively their own prospects. And so the gurus tend to develop this very um, authoritarian sort of approach to a lot of their direct response sales and yeah. copy and et cetera. And so then when people who are not in the biz op world come through a biz op funnel and learn biz op sales techniques and all the, all the tone, and then they take it to another industry, it just stops working because yeah. other, other, especially in the B2B world, um, uh, other business owners, because, real business a lot owners, of the, they just go, I'm not going to be treated like that. Like move yeah. on. A lot of the, the like closing techniques used in BizOp and like mm -hmm. selling and all of yeah. that is, um, it's like the square peg round hole. Like, I don't care if you're a square yeah. peg, I'm going to fit you in. Yeah. Uh, I, I had the good fortune to get my start in, well, I, I did a whole bunch of phone jobs and stuff yeah. in high school and college and stuff. And then my first full-time job, like in this field of marketing and selling was at an IT training company. And, yeah. and the Ooh, people- So you might've learned Sandler if you were starting with IT. Uh, on well, that. 
I didn't because okay. the guy wasn't really like a, the guy who owned the company wasn't really like a salesperson, but mm-hmm. like one of the things he had this attitude of like, we don't want to force this on anybody. Yeah. So for one of the things, like we had this like super ugly training, like it was, mm-hmm. it was early days of whiteboard on a tablet that you couldn't actually, it wasn't touchscreen. It was like a tablet separate from your computer, but it was uh-huh. showing up on your computer on this whiteboard app. And these trainers would have their scribbly handwriting that was even worse on the screen and they're sitting there and talking to you, but it was the people who actually wrote the exam questions. So we would uh, like the quality of content was great. And there were competitors in the space that had shiny polished PowerPoint presentations and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so that whole process of qualifying and disqualifying, like thinking of disarming them with openness, Mm -hmm. I could not lie to the people and say like, Oh, we have the prettiest training and all of that. Right. I would say, yeah, we have ugly training. Have you looked at the demos? Like it's pretty ugly, but here's the trainer's qualifications. And if that's the important part and you look at the demos and you realize that it's like having one of these guys sitting next to you, like showing you how this stuff works and taking notes, like then you're going to get a lot of value. But if you need that pretty stuff because of your training manager and their criteria or whatever, let me point you towards this competitor. Right. Right. And it's Um, it's very honest. It's not like boy, you, you got it from such a young age. That's awesome, man. Because (laughs) like pointing people honestly and fairly without any, oh, well, if you're not good enough for us, then maybe you can go to someone else. Like that's, (laughs) that's not what you're, you're being like really giving them, I call it an honest out. You're giving an honest out and like this person really might be a better fit for you. If that's the thing that and, and like refusing to invalidate their buying criteria, like their buying criteria are very real. Like, yeah, we can't destroy every, we can't treat everything like a limiting belief. Some, yes. some of the times these are not limiting beliefs. These are actual realistic, reasonable buying criteria. And you have to have the judgment to know the difference and the, and the willingness to accept the difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, That's I cool. even, I deal with that with price objections too. Like if you, yeah. um, if you're speaking to somebody and price is a legitimate objection, like they're yeah. choosing whether to buy their kids Christmas presents or to invest mm-hmm. in your training, you probably tell them like, buy your kids Christmas presents and save up for the training for right. next time it's available. Right. right. Um, because then you're going to get somebody who's, who's a better, uh, I say better cousin, like somebody who's going to spend more for life because there's a better relationship. Yep. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about like sales and marketing because you're you, you obviously have this marketing awareness but you focus on sales and sales teams in the whole like traditional view of sales and marketing they're kind of mortal enemies right but they don't have to be and especially in an entrepreneurial tension, right? business yeah um so so like how do sales teams that you do training with interact with marketing and how can marketing um, especially like if somebody who's listening, since I have so many copywriters and marketers involved, mm-hmm. they make contributions to the sales team. Like they help the sales team succeed. Sales team helps their marketing succeed. So yeah. how can we work together to help each other? Structured time is the only way that I've found. Just making sure that you're spending time with the other side of the equation. Um, okay. And making sure you're using a good structure to do that in. Wow, that mug is roughly the size of your head. I'm I'm kind of impressed, <laughs> or at least it looks that way on camera. <laughs> Here, it's it's larger than my head. No. There we go. <laughs> uh, so, spending structured time together and giving each other feedback. Um, yeah, it's absolutely vital if you're going to have a high performing funnel or high performing funnel plus team or however you think about that. I'm not picky about terms, but yeah. if if your offer is going to perform well then yes. every piece of it has to be on point. So if if you're going to get, there's so many decisions to make in a funnel. It's like by, by the time we get to a sales call, um, does that need to be focused on a one call close or can we afford to do a two call close? Would it be better to do a two call close? Are they going to have to go deal with financing and come back to us? Or like it, it's so much of it depends on, the offer and the marketplace that you're dealing with at the moment. Um, yeah. With one of my clients, we're doing um, 
but we're selling enterprise uh, software plus thinking frameworks into medium-sized businesses around a thousand people, things like that. And it's not a huge sale. We're talking about 75K to quarter million, things like that. But when you, when you have, when you know your audience and what they're going through, like the VC market just slowed way down in the last two months, way, way down. And so the funding has dried up dramatically. And a lot of these companies that are dealing with, they were just going by gut on, um, Sorry, I'm getting a little in the weeds here, but they, they were going no, by I'm gut sorry. on their product decisions. And now they're having to get really solid on their due diligence so they don't waste a dime. So that yeah. environment goes beyond just knowing your avatar. It's also knowing the landscape that they're operating in right now. And so the, the, the copywriter has certain parts of that. And the sales team has the internal, like they're talking to the customers. They can hear the words that are used with objections. So that's one yeah. of the really important pieces is just giving each other feedback. Yeah, and and having that be a proactive thing. I mean, one of the one of the easiest ways to write great copy is to um, just to have a conversation with the people who are having conversations with the customers. Yeah, and knowing what all the hot buttons are, uh, or have your own conversations directly if it's more of a direct to consumer offer. Yeah. But to, to, to know like this is the topic of conversation that they're thinking about right now. This is what they're thinking about in the market. This is what they're thinking about relative to their experience yeah. of the problem. And then just reflecting that and right. um, and having that show up in the copy. And then there's congruence between what's going on. Like what, <laughs> one of the worst things uh, is, is to have your sales team be like, oh yeah, this is our marketing materials, but um, mostly pay attention to what I'm telling you. Because then there's not trust. There's not this united voice. I can't tell you how many third-party sales teams I've spun up where the offer owner or or their marketing team, but I mean, fish rot from the head down, you know, so so leadership is everything. Um, So the offer owner didn't understand the importance of showing the sales team the entire funnel from start to finish. Like, this is absolutely vital. We have to know every word that the prospect has seen and heard up until they get to us. We don't know how hard we can push on item X. We don't yeah. know what brandable language we can use as a lever over here. We don't know what hooks they've responded to. We don't know their quiz answers. Like all, There's all kinds of stuff. The sales team has to know exactly what's going on if you're going to get 40, 50, 60% close rates. If you're going above yeah. 60%, okay, you need to scale it up again. You, you need to <laughs> let go of some of those numbers and just get your absolute dollars up, blow, blow up your ad spend at that point. But yeah. up to that, between 30 and 60%, um, like you've got your salespeople, salespeople performing really well. And you've got your funnel performing really well. And it, yeah. they have to be congruent. There's so many ways that congruency matters. So if someone is building out uh, like a, a sales funnel and process for like a new offer or new business or something mm-hmm. that um, maybe started as an initial market test and, hey, this is working out, but I, I need something that scales more than just me selling it. Um, yeah. What does that tend to look like? today if if you know what's that sales funnel what's that sales process for the high ticket offers you deal with yeah it can look a lot of different ways um i love uh alan sultanic and robert nicalius automatic clients model um i love uh joel Irway's webinar stuff that he's doing uh, with the not talking head but like the interview style um podcast vsl sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're going to scale it, you're going to be running ads to it almost, almost always. So it's going to have to look like add to content, um, to bottom of funnel funnel or, or third funnel or what, however you think of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, everybody that I've seen doing really well, 
has a content game that's on point and they okay. probably were focused on content before they were focused on ads even unless they've done it a few times before that that happens plenty yeah. of times but if it's their first one then they've almost always got it done with um content first as they begin to think about scaling and so with those people in particular you have to decelebritize the funnel otherwise you get about an 8% deflation in your close rate. Uh, so talk about this. Sure. Um, so funnel decelebritization, uh, it's part of what we do in our funnel audit. Uh, I, I say that founder fuel runs dirty. Like as founders, <laughs> we can, we can make a lot of different kinds of deals happen and we can run on a different, a lot of different kinds of fuel. Um, yeah but we make a giant mess while we do it. We throw off a lot of pollution while we, while we burn up whatever kind of fuel we're running on adrenaline okay. and lack of sleep and things like that. And so we'll make a lot of dirty deals. Uh, and then as we're scaling, we don't realize how weird the deals are that we're how customized we make these deals. And so that's one piece where we have to, Oh, we have to make sure that the sales team has confidence in their own authority on exactly what types of deals can and cannot be made with financing or with pricing or with um, bonuses or anything like that. Like founders make yeah. that stuff up all the time. And they don't yes. think about the fact that salespeople, they cannot do that. Like this is not yeah. something you want your salespeople doing. It will, it will demolish your business if you gave salespeople the same free reign that you had as a founder because they don't have the same knowledge, judgment, intentions toward your business. I mean, I mean they're also have... making making decisions based on your paycheck, not their own. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so that's one piece of it, kind of kind of peripheral, but the the other piece of the celeb decelebritization is that you have to trade on your own name. You have to trade on your own expertise. You have to trade on a lot of these things if you're the influencer especially in the coaching world, which is, I, mm -hmm. I've done probably more in that than some of the others, but it, you have to, you have to use that in your marketing because if you're bootstrapping, it's one of the only things you've got, but yeah. then you have to, in the funnel itself, you talk up my team, my team, my team, my team, my team. So every step of the funnel has to pump up the next step of the funnel so that the prospects are not deflated when they get on the phone and, Oh, it's Jeremy. Oh, I thought I was going to talk with Roy. And yeah. some of them say that. And some of them, you can just see the air go out of them a little bit, but it has a measurable effect on your salespeople's close rates. And you don't want to come back to them for dumb reasons going, Oh, well, this, this team can't close or that person can't close. I want you to get rid of that person and, and put somebody else in that slot. No, 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 no. You fix the systemic problem. And you will make it easy for a decent salesperson to become an amazing salesperson on that funnel. Yeah. I think that that's like, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's definitely a challenge for the founder who, who starts off doing all those things themselves that you start off like, hey, uh, have, have a chat with me. You know, we'll, we'll figure this out. We'll, we'll do whatever. Right. But then when it comes time to scale, you realize that you can't take you know, 75 phone calls a week and you right. can't, um, right. you, you can't scale your time. Time um, is totally unscalable. Yes. And so, so then, then you have to be intentional about stepping back and, and pulling other people to the center. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that idea of my team, my team, my team, um, is a very scalable way to do it because yeah. if you just say, oh, now I have Jeremy, now I have Bob, now I have Jane, now I have whoever, right? Um, then you can't scale their time. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So how right. does an entrepreneur know then, this is like a perfect setup, uh, when it's time to delegate parts of their sales process and um, where where would you start um, in terms of this delegation thinking, um, you know, how to do it well, all of that? Um, there are a few fears that tend to come up that are good flags. Um, but when, when you notice how unscalable your time is, 
Uh, that's usually one of the flags. And I'm afraid I can't scale this business because I can't work 10 more hours. I'm already at 60. Uh, my wife and kids need me. Like this is a pretty common thing. Um, there are a lot of times when entrepreneurs, they, they decide they hate being on the phone and okay, that's fine, but it's not necessarily a flag for, are, are you ready to get off the phones? Um, we, we make a lot of decisions emotionally that the classic founder disc profile is a high DI. Both of those are, those are the impulsive two profiles right there. Yeah. So being a little more systematic about it. Um, we've got a resource that we're about to put up on the site about when are you ready? Uh, so okay. we can, we can point people to that, but off the top of my head, um, what are you afraid of right now? Uh, pay attention and write it down. What are you afraid of right now? Be really honest with yourself and then burn it afterwards so that you can be honest with yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's going to point you in some interesting directions. Uh, as a business coach, not just a sales coach, I, I do almost more business co business therapy is a lot of what I end up doing. And what's the hardest thing right now? What's the thing you're most afraid of right now is highly likely that's your most high leverage item that's creating a bottleneck in your business in some way or another. And you might need help to see it, but it's very yeah. likely that there's a bottleneck around that thing that you're most bothered by. So yes. Uh, that's, that's one place to go, but specifically, um, if your time, if you are, if you are putting qualified calls on the calendar more than four a day, yeah, then that's a pretty good indicator that you need to, you need to start getting the systems in place for a sales team. That's, yes. that's one very easy indicator. All right, cool. Well, so you you specialize in in helping entrepreneurs in this process of either building or overhauling their current sales team. Um, mm -hmm. What do you find is necessary for a successful sales team in the context of all of this? A lot of support. <clears throat> um, a lot of support for the sales team. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, salespeople need a lot more clarity than the founder does. Uh, due to, in part to that authority thing we talked about before, they should not have the authority to make these deals. So they need very clear boundaries or they will come in and you'll feel like they're breaking all your unspoken rules uh, that you've never bothered explaining to them. And yeah, or uh, they'll be timid. And so they, they need really good clarity around the offer and they need to be sold. You need to sell your sales team on you, on the company, on the offer, on the results it's getting. You need to keep that in their face all the time in small way. I mean, we all know that 50 two sentence testimonials are way better than one 100 sentence testimonial. It's, it's just a world of difference. It's the same thing with salespeople. These, your employees are your customers as a CEO. This is your new customer right here. And so yes. their customers, when you do a great job with your own employees, whether it's in sales or customer success or in the IT department or whatever, it, it's like the janitors at NASA for the moonshot. Um, the, the, how they sold the vision of that. It's, I'm not mopping floors. I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Yeah. Like that is, that's what, oh, that, that really gets me going kind of, so. Um, <laughs> I can hear it and, uh, and I felt it too. Yeah. Being able to, being able to get everybody on vision where everybody believes and it's, it's not a psych you up kind of belief. It's a, they're bought in. It's a buy-in rather than a psych up. And yeah. so you don't have to do all the Wolf of Wall Street high pressure to yourself, like the boom, boom sticks and the like sniffing the, the scents that they do and the <laughs> jump up and down and all that kind of stuff. Everybody has yeah. their own little pre-call rituals and that's fine, but you don't yeah. have to have pump you up stuff when you've got levered buy-in. Uh, and yeah. so that, that's, that's the big thing. And the systems need to support that. Your tech needs to support that. 
your internal copy and your external copy need to support that. It's about congruence all the way through. Um, I can't do this by myself, by the way. I yeah. the, like the level of planning where I break down is about what I call digital crayons. So I, it, it's like lucid chart, funnelytics, Garou, um, like the flow chart level. And then I can help plan out the project and put a bunch of tasks in the project. And I'm like, all right, now somebody else has to organize this because I can't. And so the, like putting the timelines and the assignments on everything is um, that's work for me. But getting somebody else in at the right moment. Um, yeah. Getting my ops manager in at the right moment so that I don't stall out the project accidentally, like the proper time to hand it off. That's, that's a big deal, but it, there, there are a lot of things that have to line up there. Yeah, absolutely. So like it, it your, your job is the person who is building or recreating uh, overhauling the sales team yeah. is, is to, to create the structure for everyone else to succeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that, that whole thing about getting them to buy in one of the big, I don't know, re re realizations, recognition, mm -hmm. recognitions for me personally in the last few months has been like when you can't find motivation and the same thing's going to apply for your sales team when you can't when they can't find motivation it's because it's not because they need like some motivational speech like you said it's because something about their their values and their identity statement is not lining up with the like who they believe themselves to be their identity statement is not mm -hmm. lining up with the work that they're doing and so Oftentimes, like you're doing that work for a reason. So it can just be a reminder, like, oh exactly. yeah, these are the values that I choose for my life. This is who I want to be. And this is how that work aligns with that. Yep. And so like when you have that strong for yourself as the entrepreneur and you're able to communicate that vision for the team and they're able to recognize, yeah, that's, that, I value that too. Like, I'm, yep. I'm glad I'm here for this reason. Then like motivation, motivation is a byproduct. It's not like what you start with. It's not the cause. Exactly. Um, cool. Um, and so clearly, like, I have a question here about culture, but clearly we've been talking about culture, right? Um, that yeah. if the culture is right, the sales team succeeds. And all of this is the implementation of culture. Peter Drucker, a famous business consultant said, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast and a good culture will create a good strategy when you have the right people on board and they're motivated well, and, and there's a vision then they will create the right strategy to achieve that vision. Yes, um, that's an excellent quote. I'm writing it down again, even though I know it, just so <laughs> I'm reminded of it um, tied to this interview. Um, so, so let's say, you know, so I was working, I was working with this, um, this business, the IT training company, right in that kind of transition period from founder and small team kind of doing everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like hired somebody to be sales and marketing. Um, and um, then I was like, there. yeah, I, I was the marketing guy that came in at the, basically the, the same time as like, so sales and marketing guy became president. And then there's a sales guy and a marketing guy. And then we were growing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of speed bumps <laughs> in yeah. that growth process. So how does a business know when they need help with their sales team, when they need someone to like come in and be that third party outside voice that can help them out? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious if, if, um, if you can give any insight about that, about like, uh, what's that decision-making process for help, getting help from someone like you? Yeah. Um, without being too salesy, um, there, can you do it on your own? I mean, if you can do it on your own, then do it. It's cheaper. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, it's really just a cost benefit analysis in the way yeah. that I think about it. Um, if you can do it for less than 20 K then do it. Um, just make sure to factor in your labor and your, your training and your retraining and all that, the time spent. A lot of people don't think about their, their, their own labor, uh, in getting a new initiative going and how much work a new initiative is. Um, so it just 
Yeah. Writing down your costs is a very simple way to do it. And not a lot of people do it that way, but it's, it's certainly an easy one. Um, which way is cheaper and what's your time frame? Are you familiar with the strengths finder test, the Clifton strengths, uh, from Gallup? Yeah, I haven't gone through it. It's been one of those things that's on my to-do list for, it's, for it's a while. Fun. If, you, if you go buy the book on Amazon, they give you a code for um, the, like the top five uh, strengths. Yeah. And my top one is individualization. So when I, when I get questions that are, what's the time? What's the way to know? What's, what's the, um, yeah. the right way? That's hard for me uh, because everybody has a different situation going on from their funnel to their market, to that, the landscape for that market to, I mean, what role in the business they are currently filling. That's a big deal too. So, so if we think about this, like a diagnosis process, there are some common Uh symptoms that you've seen show up as people are approaching you and saying, you know, Jeremy, I need some help here. Yeah. Uh, Their calendar is full. They're selling well right now. If somebody comes in and they are not, um, they're not selling, this is not yeah. the time for a sales team. This is a time to fix the offer. This is a time to fix the, the marketing. This is a time to fix <laughs> your own sales skills so that you can appreciate a sales team. And that's fine. That's, that's yeah. cool. We help people with that stuff too. Uh, time to put a motor on culture. your unicycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but with with the people that are ready, um, they're selling well. And as far as the, the dollar amount goes, um, usually once someone is over, you know, around half a million dollars a year, it may be time to start thinking about a sales team, um, or, or hiring a salesperson, having a salesperson at 15 K a month, you can't create the stability for that kind of team. I mean, if you're yeah. hiring a salesperson, okay. you're hiring other people too. And, and you, need to, you need to just focus on revenue and, and fix your fulfillment, fix your offer uh, yeah. so that you're very productized and you can just bang them out one after another and bring in a billion clients a month. Like It's about creating a scalable product uh, or yeah. scalable. Yeah, the product itself productized has to service. be scalable. That's, yeah. that's a great way to, to put it. Yeah. Um, so but when you have that on point, and you're doing at least a half a million dollars a year. And I mean, there are plenty of businesses that can go to, you know, three or $4 million a year with just founder sales. Uh, yeah. Usually they're very strategic partnership focused and things like that. And they're, they're working the affiliate relationships or they're selling from stage or they have a one-to-many kind of approach by, by that point in the game, but yeah. they, or they're doing like really big ticket stuff. They're selling $200,000 items and all right. So one person can handle this sort of pipeline, but when the pipeline is getting out of control and it's working, that is, that's really when you're looking at this and the, the problems that I'm going to take this in a different direction. The problems that people have when they bring on a sales team, um, are mostly mindset. And I'm biased toward this because as a hypnotist, of course, for, you do that for 10 years and you're going to get really focused. Your reticular activating system is going to focus on that mindset stuff, but it's yeah. 70% of what I deal with. Even when I try and answer questions kind of like yours about systems and things like that, I end up going back to culture and mindset so hard yeah. for it's, it's hard to avoid, but if, if they have, um, if they have a mindset that we're going to slot somebody in, in here and the next week they're going to be doing well. I've even had some people who they're, they're closing at, you know, 25%. And as a founder, that's not enough for founder led sales. You need to be at 40 to 60%. You should be up in the eighties sometimes with founder led sales. If you've got a really good funnel and you're good at sales, yeah. Um, founders that's, you're not trying to, to scale your close rate as a founder. That is ridiculous. You want to scale your absolute numbers in the business. You want to scale the absolute number of clients that you've brought in. You want to scale your client acquisition costs, but 
you, you scale those not by focusing on close rate. You're going to take a big hit when you bring in a good closer um, onto a funnel that you've been running and making dirty deals on. Uh, like they're going to, they're going to come in and they're going to close 10%, 20% less than you were a lot of times. Yeah. And, and it's not their fault. It's not their <laughs> fault. It's your system's yeah. fault. And that's okay. But even rock stars have to, they have to have time to learn the set list, you know? Yeah. So it, when, when you've got it to the point where you're running a webinar a week and you're filling it up with 300 people every week and you are selling on the back end of that, or, or you're running a challenge and it, like every month you're running a challenge and you're doing $300,000 every time you run that challenge, it, like, yeah, that's a system. I, you've got a good system in place there and you can expect consistent numbers out of that. But that's yeah. not really the same as founder-led sales. The system is carrying a lot of the load by that point, and you have to have the ops in place. You have to have the systems in place to support all of that. Excellent. Um, well, I want to ask one more. <laughs> Let's do a choose your own adventure. Uh, you, I, I have two more questions that that I kind of want to ask both, but we're, we're okay. running out of time. So you get a pick. Um, you talked about a secret weapon for boosting sales being a gift campaign. And one option mm -hmm. is you can mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about what those are and how those work in like two minutes or okay. how to create a sales team that's not constantly fighting over leads and customers so you can put all your sales team's energy towards long-term growth. So gift campaign, prevent your sales team from beating each other up for leads. Uh, okay, here's how I'll decide. What's the average okay. ticket of your audience? Um. Well, let's say, let's say for like a $4,000, $5,000. Got it. Um, okay. So let's not worry about gift campaigns then. Okay. Um, so how to keep your sales team from fighting over leads. And what was the other part of that? Uh, well, see, so, so their energy goes towards growth. Got it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, stop having so many meetings and focus on filling up their funnel with qualified leads. Uh, if your sales team are fighting over leads, you are not qualifying properly, full stop. Uh, if there are good leads and bad leads, you have a problem, you have a funnel problem. Deal with it. Um, as much as I like to think that I have a great big impact on the world, as much as I like to think that my advice makes a giant difference, I learned better as a hypnotist that I can't, like, this is hypnosis, not slavery. I can't mind control people into making a, a vast ecological shift in their life after they leave the office, they're going home to five other hypnotists of various types, whether that's the TV or the refrigerator or three family members that they're not getting along with in a certain way or things like that. And it's the same thing with this, it, the, the funnel matters with, in yes. your sales, the funnel matters tremendously. And it's half, it's not like 12% is funnel. And then why can't my salespeople close? It's half and half. And if you have that mindset, then you'll do well. Um, there, there's these meta problems in selling where, okay, we might not have built desire enough or it's the targeting. Um, we might not have hit topic X enough or it's the targeting. We might not have, we, we might not have um, lowered the risk enough or it's the targeting. Like there are a couple of problems like targeting that are a meta problem that yeah. you can never remove that variable entirely from your equation, especially with yes. a lot of automated ad campaigns where Facebook and Google are just kind of doing their thing or you don't really know what your, your media buyer is doing so much, although hopefully that's not the case. <laughs> so there, there are some variables that it's just going to remain a multivariable problem, period. Yeah. And so you have to keep that in mind. And then, mm -hmm. but, but if you have qualification in place uh, and your leads are good, your salespeople will not be fighting over the leads. Um, if your salespeople are fighting over the leads, this is a sign that you have failed as a marketer in your, in your CEO ship and your foundership. You're yeah. now, your bottleneck has moved from sales to marketing. And now that's where the failure point is. And you have to go be that for a while, while you, while you let the sales team kind of sort itself out and, or get someone to sort it out or whatever the, the case may be. But 
that's a marketing problem. If, if the salespeople are fighting over leads, you should never have a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross situation. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so let's talk about where people can go to find out more. And uh, since we were just talking about quality qualified leads, who yeah. is a best fit to pursue more information from you? So number one, sure. I'm going to include a link in the description. It'll go to salescalloverhaul.com slash resources, which is your sales call overhaul uh, business. Mm-hmm. And um, what are they going to find there? And who is it, uh, who is it a best fit to, to go deep into what you have there? Yeah, thank you. Uh, we've got several products. Uh, one is for the solo founder who is still doing their own sales. That's the sales call overhaul itself. It's a three okay. call review. We go through line by line of the transcript of their sales calls and listen to the recordings. And we Excellent. send back the video recordings of what we're coaching on. Um, that is, uh, we raise we raise the founder's close rate. So we get the founder on point with that. Or, or the sales team, that's fine too. Yeah. And then uh, our STAD product, the, the sales team A-Day, um, that's our 20K-ish product, depending on a couple of options, um, where they come to me and we put everything in place that you need to recruit the sales team. I often have people in my network that I can just refer over as well, but it's putting your own recruiting system in place so that you do not have to rely on a placement service. Okay. Um, there have been so many weird things that happen with placement services <laughs> over the years and, uh, having your own internal systems for that, that, you know, how to run those system is vital for having a, a strong business for those people. Um, th- that's when you get to in the half million dollar a year range and your, your funnels working pretty well. Excellent. Well, I, I've gotten a ton of value out of this conversation and talking to you. Um, I really oh, appreciate it. So thank you, Jeremy. Like this is, it's been excellent. Um, thank you for having me. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. And for everyone who's been watching or listening to this episode, um, thank you as well. I strongly encourage you, you know, Jeremy told, told you who's a fit, um, whether you're selling your individual services and just want help to, uh, to have better sales calls selling your services, or if you're building an entire sales team and you want Jeremy and his team's help, all of that is available to you. The link's in the description, and I will catch you again in the next episode. See you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.